the reality of these successes are fabulous, but there's still this 10% or 15% that aren't successful, that we need to learn how to present that and be very real about it, but also give them an avenue to sort of process it and then figure out where to go moving forward. Welcome to Inside Reproductive Health, the shop talk of the fertility field. Here, you'll hear authentic and unscripted conversations about practice management, patient relations, and business development from the most forward-thinking experts in our field. Wall Street and Silicon Valley both want your patience, but there is a plan if you are willing to take action. Visit fertilitybridge.com to learn about the first piece of building a fertility marketing system, the goal and competitive diagnostic. Now, here's the founder of Fertility Bridge and the host of Inside Reproductive Health, Griffin Jones. Today on Inside Reproductive Health, I'm actually joined by someone from the Trying to Conceive TTC community. Lindsay Fisher is a two-time best-selling author of her books, The House on Sunset and The Two-Week Wait Challenge, A Sassy Girl's Guide to the Two-Week Wait. She's a co-founder of the Infertile AF Summit. She's the mama of a pair of boy-girl IVF twins. And she is an advocate for infertility and domestic violence awareness. She spent three years in trauma therapy after leaving her abuser, making her a self-proclaimed self-care junkie. Lindsay Fisher, welcome to Inside Reproductive Health. Thank you so much for having me. I really appreciate being here. We came to this conversation because you are at the center of a very vibrant, trying to conceive community. One that's really active online on Instagram. We had your co-founder Tia Chendusa, the co-founder of the Infertile AF Summit on the show a few months ago. And it's a community that is real tight together that talks with each other frequently. And I sometimes feel like where we are in the field of fertility treatment, sometimes we're not just not on the same block. We're not even in the same city. I agree with that. I think there is definitely a disconnect between the community of people who are actually trying to conceive or have in the past and then, you know, the medicinal or clinical side of that. There is something in between that we haven't quite bridged the gap of coming together as a whole community in a way that um, I honestly think the TTC side would really like to have happen. You had said before that you encountered some resistance. Can you talk more about what that felt like? Like a resistance, do you mean to the TTC community and the field of assisted reproductive technology coming together? Because of my second book, which is the Two Week Wait Challenge, I have been asked to speak at smaller, but some of the conferences. And a lot of times the story is, you know, well, we need to have a fluff piece here. Like we need to have the patient perspective. We don't really want that to be the highlight, but we do need it to show that we care about them. I hate to say it that way, but that's how it came off. Yes, totally obligatory. And so it was one of those things where it was like, if you don't value me coming in to do this with you, how are you sort of like, where's the disconnect between that and how you're treating your patient? If you don't want to hear their stories and empathize with them, and I get that doctors have a lot going on and clinics have a lot going on and they need to be focused on education and furthering, you know, whatever it is that they're trying to advance, but you can't not look at this side of it, especially as it's growing and not see the value of the connection, if that makes sense. 
There's really very few meetings where we even have a patient come in to speak. I have seen it before. MRS has done a good job of that in the past, but there are some meetings. The second largest meeting in North America is the one that happens on the West Coast every late March, and there's no patient relations or practice management programming there. And there's one that's going to happen in California over the summer, and there's no patient relations programming there. For some, maybe they're so focused, they're, they might specifically be focused on donor ag or vitrification, or there are some meetings that might be reasonable, but I think there are other meetings where we're just lacking for that. And even at ASRM, which is the biggest meeting for fertility treatment in North America, I can't say that I've ever seen patients come in and talk. I can't say that absolutely because there have been, but usually it's because they're working on a particular abstract or they might be working on something else. But in terms of understanding how these individuals come together as a community, that I think we're lacking for. So you have come in, you and Tia and others like you have filled that void on your own in many cases. Yeah, I think, you know, we definitely see a need for community and to be able to find one another to support each other. And it's not even about like, what treatment option you're going to choose. Or, you know, if you have a specific question about where you are in your journey, it's more about the emotional side of it and finding the validation to make your own decisions and feel empowered in those decisions, as opposed to having a talking head say to you, here's the statistics. This is what we, you know, this is what we would recommend, but then feeling like, okay, well, I still have six options to choose from. It gets scary and overwhelming. And so when you've got people standing next to you that are like, yes, it is scary and overwhelming, but let's look at the options here and find the most empowering avenue for you. That's the sort of conversation that we're having at this point on the patient side. And obviously with the way that the summit sort of, the results of our first summit were wildly successful. I mean, it should be something that I think both sides are looking at as like a key, like this is what needs to be happening now is we need to be having these conversations and not overlook the patient perspective. Part of the reason why we put bridge in our company's name is because it would be great if they weren't all happening one side over here and one side over there. And I think there is a vested interest in the clinics appearing at events like yours, participating in the community like yours well as inviting folks from the TTC community to our meetings and speak in our forums because they feel misunderstood too. And oftentimes they are. Nurses get abused. They're, they have a crazy workload. Doctors have so much information and so much to keep track of. And the expectations for them are often really unrealistic. It's like, fine, but you're never going to have that understood if you're keeping all of your communication and gathering and networking over here on this side of the neighborhood right. and not reaching out and mixing with the folks on the other side of the neighborhood. Yeah, I think it's an interesting kind of place that we're in currently and just business in general that, you know, one of the things, the talking points, the big selling points for people who are trying to be leaders is emotional intelligence, right? Like we want emotionally intelligent leaders. And if that means you have to tap into your emotions. And so a lot of times when we talk about 
you know, the opposite side, the medicinal side, there is no connection there. The emotional intelligence is seen as like, yeah, I agree with you. I have seen how nurses are treated. I believe that they have incredibly difficult jobs and the doctors are constantly working. I mean, the expectations that people put on them are insane. However, if they don't kind of say that or present it, then the patient doesn't realize that either. And so their expectation is I'm spending X amount of money. I want, you know, this service and I believe that I'm supposed to have success when ultimately we know that that isn't necessarily something that always happens, but it feels like there is radio silence from, you know, the clinical side on that and saying, look, we know if they would just come forward and be honest about that or transparent or, you know, talk about the struggles that they have with sort of showing up in that capacity, I think that this other side, the patient side could be more supportive, if you will. The communication needs to go both ways. And I think it's lacking on both sides. And I hope that eventually we can catch up on both ends to have a better realm. You know, if you look at a lot of the REs that are on Instagram or social media that are popular, it's because they talk about personal things, right? It's because they share their own stories and they do it in a way that's vulnerable. And that's how they're connecting with people and getting these really amazing bonds with the people that are coming to see them. It's the perceived mansion on the hill, right? I've come from a lower middle-class Irish Catholic family where you know, it's like business is bad. Wealthy people are not to be trusted type of thing. And, you know, I look back at why my family had this story. And it's just because when you feel so disconnected from someone, you can, you fill in the blanks, right? And when it's like, well, we don't see these people riding the bus. We don't see these people at the public pool. We don't see these people humping it out here with us. And so therefore they came to wealth to sort of magically, they only obtained it because they just keep it themselves. And that's the narrative that we had. And sometimes that's probably deserved. Sometimes it's certainly not deserved. There's a lot more there. And I think the same is true for, if we're not present, meaning the REI community, the assisted reproductive technology field in the community of patients, then we are just leaving an entire blank sheet for people to fill in with however they feel. For me, and I can't speak for everybody, but I think what it boils down to is it appears as a lack of empathy. And so what you're looking at is if this person doesn't care about me, then why am I going to invest in them? Or why am I going to be polite when I go in for, you know, they don't care about me, I'm just a number. But if this side shows empathy for this side, I think I believe that the TTC community could be more understanding of what's going on if they were shown more, if more of the background was visible. And so that is really what I'm hoping for is, you know, this this empathy, like if somebody looked at me, if a doctor looked at me while I was sitting, while I was still cycling and said, I understand where you are. You know, I see this every day. I know how difficult this is for you. I know how strenuous it is financially or emotionally or even physically. You know, give me something so that I know that I'm not just a number and show up transparently so that I don't feel like you're feeding everybody a different line. We're going to have better conversations. I liken it to no matter what you were in the business of, wouldn't you want to be central? 
to the community around that. In other words, if I sold boats, I would be all about wanting to be with the clean water folks, right? Like the people that the Lake Erie Preservation Group, the Lake Ontario Water Keepers Association, people that are just going to the beach, going on. I would want to be involved in everything central to the lake, right? Because there is an inherent value that dates all the way back to tribalism. If you can provide for the tribe some sort of value, then your status in the community goes up. And so if we as fertility treatment providers can provide information, value, empathy, empowerment, sometimes just straight up entertainment and a human connection, our status within the community goes up. That only serves to benefit us in this case. Yeah. (laughs) Yes, preach. I think that it's that human connection piece that is truly missing in a lot of ways. But I agree with you. The benefit on, you know, the opposite side is that it definitely, it shows your value more than being able, you know, a percentage is great. You telling me that you have a 75% you know, success rate in September or whatever month is fabulous, but it doesn't tell me who you are. And that's really what I want to know. I want to come back to that because that's a a topic that I I would like to explore some more. But to the the point of adding values, I very often think that people have it reverse. And I see this sometimes when I talk to people about Resolve. Whenever we work with a new client, I try to get somebody in to involve with Resolve. At, At the very least, a professional membership. It's way underpriced in my opinion. A little bit of help with advocacy, letting every patient know, here's where the support groups meet, here's some blogs, or here's some resources, letting them know about Resolve, about Infertile AF Summit, about others. And I have had certain people say to me, well, what are they going to do for me? And their perception is that there's some large fertility groups at the top that pay for larger sponsorships and that therefore any of these larger communities are catering to them. I think, again, when we serve the community, our status in the community goes up. So it's not saying like, what are we going to get from them? It's saying, okay, you've already congregated the community in some way. I'm going to come in and over-serve the community so that that in turn generates more, in this case, more word of mouth patients, but a higher yield of people of favor of having a better position simply because we're the ones serving. I think that's a backwards point that we mess this up a lot. You know, it's just good business, really, if you want to boil it down to that. Like, (laughs) what is somebody doing for you? Well, if you don't show up, they're doing nothing for you. But if you're actually there, then you're getting something out of it. You know, you're getting FaceTime with people who may actually need your services. And I think the people at our summit, a ton of people constantly walking around to all of the vendors and all of the tables. And I honestly, there was never a moment where I looked around and saw one, you know, overutilized versus another. And so it was one of those things where it's like, yeah, if you pay less, you may get less, but if you don't pay, you're getting nothing. So... 
Do you want your IVF lab to be at capacity? Do you want one or more of your docs to be busier? Do you want to see more patients at your satellite office before you decide to close the doors on it? But private equity firms are buying up and opening large practice groups across the country and near you. Tech companies are reaching your patients first and selling your own patients back to you. And patients are coming in with more information from the internet and from social media than ever before, for good or for bad, and you need a plan. A fertility marketing system is not just buying some Google ads here or doing a couple of Facebook posts here. It's a diagnosis, a prognosis, and a proven treatment plan. Just getting price quotes for a website, for a video, or for SEO, that's like paying for ICSI or donor egg ad hoc without doing testing, without a protocol, and without any consideration of what else might be needed. The first step of building a fertility marketing system is the goal in competitive diagnostic. It's the cornerstone on what your entire strategy is built. You don't have to, but it is best to do that before you hire a new marketing person, before you put out an RFP or look for services, before you get your house in order, because by definition, this is what gets your team in alignment. Fertility Bridge can help you with that. It is better to have a third party do this. We've done it for IVF centers from all over the world, and we only serve businesses who serve the fertility field. It's such an easy way to try us out. It's such a measured way to get your practice leadership aligned, and it's a proven process to begin your marketing system. Without it, practices spend marketing dollars aimlessly and they stress their teams and they even lose patience and market share. Amidst these changes that are happening across our field and across society, if you're serious about growing or even maintaining your practice, sign up for the goal in competitive diagnostic. It's at fertilitybridge.com or linked here in the show notes. There is no downside to doing this for your practice, only upside. Now back to inside reproductive health. I want to jump back to, because I don't want to forget it, you mentioned success rates and patient perception of success rates, and I want to explore your knowledge on that some more. Have people caught on that it's really unreliable to take anyone's version of success rates? You know, I, I think one clinic that I had worked with for a while, they kept jumping up in their state. And, but, you know, in 2000, with the 2015 or so numbers, I think they were, they had climbed up to number four. And then, and then the next year they had dropped something like, you know, down to maybe 15 or so in, in a state, maybe 30 or so clinics and their, you know, success rates had dropped, you know, 15%. And another clinic that had been completely off the map had jumped way up and whoever was number one. I remember was an independent fertility center. They had fallen way down. It's like, like, do we really think that all of a sudden this lab and this staff that was really good or this one that was less good all of a sudden just jumped around and, and this happens so frequently? Or is it just that this reporting is totally unreliable, and especially if we're getting it from whoever is currying the numbers to tell whatever is their best story? Yeah, I think, you know, it's unfortunate. I think that these statistics are used in the way that they are because it's playing off of people who are just now getting involved, right? People that are just now learning that they need treatment of some sort. And so that emotional vulnerability that goes in when they see these numbers and haven't done the research will hop onto it. But I think that those of us who have been around and present in the community long enough know that it's total BS, right? Like You're an OG, but do the new people on the block... Do they know this? or I don't think that they do. And I don't like to say that because it makes me feel like I'm giving people the opportunity to really use those. But I think that, you know, one of the disadvantages of using those numbers and statistics is that 
when people find the community, you know, the OGs will step in and be like, mm, wait a minute, let's think about what you're using here. Because, you know, like you said, a year ago, this clinic was over here. And now all of a sudden, they're number one. Is it really that they're that much more successful? Or is it that, you know, they're finding a way to make these numbers work for them? And they're showing one little piece of the actual puzzle here. So, you know, Clinics are becoming like there. There is a disadvantage in using those if they don't watch what they're doing because there are some of us who are paying enough attention now. But I don't think that somebody just walking into infertility right now knows that those numbers are false. I think they're grasping at anything to give them hope. And when you see a success rate that is really high, you gravitate towards it. But once you've been in for a minute, you kind of take a step back and go, okay, now what is this actually about? There's two narratives that run parallel in the field right now. And I want to see where you think about this. I would love to have somebody on the lab, from the lab, and ask them about this. But one is that my success rates are the best. Everybody else's suck is one narrative. And then in parallel, it's also, well, the labs have gotten so good all around. We're almost all growing to day five. We're almost, we're all using vitrification and success rates have totally evened out in the last 10 years. From what you can tell, do you feel a certain way based on the patient perspective to buy one or the other of those? I mean, I think both of them are kind of talking points that don't seem very sincere to me. Like, yes, technology has a lot to do with this and and research and, you know, the developments and all of these amazing advances that we have. Like, of course, they help success rates. However, I think there is this underlying conversation that won't be had because people don't want to have the hard conversation of there are some things that we can't control at this point. And so from the patient perspective, when you're saying, oh, well, everybody's so advanced, so we're all at equal playing levels or, oh, our numbers are great. The bottom line is if your body's not going to do it, your body's not going to do it. Do you know what I mean? Like if, if your eggs or if the eggs don't fertilize or if there's male factor, whatever, whatever it is, there are scenarios where sometimes it just can't be overcome, whether it's one cycle or two cycles, maybe the next one is great. But the bottom line is we need to be having that conversation too, right? The, the reality of these successes are fabulous, but there's still this 10% or 15% that aren't successful, that we need to learn how to present that and be very real about it, but also give them an avenue to sort of process it and then figure out where to go moving forward. When you talk to patients in the community, do you feel that they are having expectations set properly when you're talking to folks? Or are there some folks who, who may not have had success that didn't realize that there was a decent probability of that? Yeah, no, I think that, so there's a narrative that actually happens on our side where, and this is what Tia and I have been working really hard to sort of like break down because it's, it's totally dangerous and unhealthy. People believe that if they continue to cycle long enough, they will have success, right? So maybe your first round doesn't work. Maybe it takes three rounds, but you'll get there, right? And I think there are doctors that will present that information to people. But I think mostly it's this idea of don't lose hope, keep going, you'll get your baby. And that isn't always true. And so what, and Tia is a perfect example of that, is that she chose to walk away child-free after 
her rounds didn't work and she decided enough was enough, right? My husband and I had a limit. It's easy for me to say that we would have stopped at that limit, but we never got there because I found success. And so it's one of those things where I genuinely believe that the patient perspective is if I if I fight hard enough, I'm going to get the end result that I want and not the reality that there are people that don't have success because that is not the picture that is painted for anybody when they walk into a clinic. No, you know, nurse, no doctor looks at you and says, you realize this might not work, right? Because then they're going to lose money. So like, it's a conversation that needs to be had. I would personally, like looking back, if I decided to go back and do treatment again, I do really like my doctor. But I think that I would really value a conversation with somebody and really respect them if they looked at me and said, you know, just because you had easy success the first time doesn't mean it's going to be easy again, because that's what I need to hear going in so that I'm mentally in the right place to cycle. And when that happens, I do, I read the fertility IQ reviews. I talk to people when that happens, there are people that are like, they just wanted my money. They pushed me through it. I had no idea that there was a result that was not going to end with me having a perfectly happy, healthy baby. And I I could see how that perception can be taken. I also see that I I think a lot of it is coming is just from a supreme confidence in how far the medicine has advanced. And maybe to a point where we're not totally appreciating it, there's still a high chance. I hear people say all the time, we can get people pregnant. We've got the technology. We can get almost anybody pregnant. It's like, okay, well, let's unpack that anymore. Like, yeah, if you know, if you do up to three cycles and you're under 35 and you have this diagnosis, you have an 80% chance of getting pregnant. 80%. Meaning, and that's that's if you're doing three cycles, meaning one in five is not getting pregnant from that. If somebody said to us, Hey, Lindsay Griffin and three of your friends, get on this boat, one of you is gonna drown, or there's a one in five chance that this boat is gonna sink. There's no way anybody's getting on. And I and I'm not saying that that is the same decision calculation for for going through with IVF, but I think it's really important to realize that, hey, this is your probability. Probability is good. There is this chance you need to consider. Ultimately, what you're, ultimately what someone is deciding is, is did they leave everything on the table or, or did they, you know, did they take everything off the table? Did they put it all on in means of, of getting to their goal? But I think that helping someone assess that is more substantive than here's the miracle that you might not result in. Yeah. I mean, ultimately, and this is me just being really straightforward, what they're doing is selling a lie, whether or not they want to do that, right? Like maybe it's not intentional. Maybe maybe their intentions are great and they do genuinely believe that they're going to have success, but there's still this these people that don't have success. And if you don't tell people about that, that's problematic. And it's, I get where, you know, you don't want to look at somebody who's getting ready to go through something that's really difficult and very stressful and say, by the way, it may not work. Like I get why they want to avoid that pain, but the reality is that pain needs to be brought up so that people can process it and make the best informed choices. People want to talk about informed choices in the sense of here are all of your options while you're going through treatment, right? Here are the best things that we can do. Here are the adva- Here's the advanced technology we have. But they don't want to actually talk about the reality of the real statistics that people don't have success. And so, you know, you're not giving people the full picture if you're not having that conversation. And it is what it is. 
I love your point that whether they intend to do that or not, that's what's happening. I experienced this in my own business where I would, I never, ever sold people this idea of give us some money. We'll do some magic Facebook and all of a sudden you'll have some more, uh, you'll have some more new patients. And we even have done things where it's, you could almost summarize it as that, but I never sold that, but people would still just look at me and be like, Ah, I get you're you're the you're the social media guy. You're gonna do the social media magic and, and wave the wand, and all of a sudden we're just gonna get more patience and not have to do anything. And it's, I never I, I never said that. I never tried to lead someone to that conclusion. But what I learned was that I have to diligently and emphatically slow people down, walk them through a process. And this is what you're coming to me with. This is how it actually works and bring and breaking the process down so that one, they are actually far more likely to have success, but two, that their, their expectations are, are coming to me with over here on far end of the spectrum. And I need to correct it. Uh, even if, you know, like that we might not be doing that intentionally with miracle babies with, you know, just all, like, just baby, baby, baby. But if we're not doing anything to calibrate that expectation, we're doing it by default. So, Lindsay, I feel like I, I could talk to you for four more darn hours. You're an awesome person to connect this part of the gap that we have on the treatment side of the field to the patient community, especially the online patient community. For the time, we'll have to have you on the show again. For the time being, how would you want to conclude anything that I didn't ask you about or that you would want? the field to know about the online community or how we can bridge the gap or correct perceptions? So I think what's really interesting is like, you know, I was pretty transparent, very honest about the patient perspective from my own experience and what I've heard from other people. I don't think anybody is sitting on our side going, they're, you know, they're dishonest and they're lying to us and it's bad. I think what they're saying is we want to hear more from you and be honest. Like, so even though I've been very direct and sometimes that might come off as aggressive, it's not, I'm not, I'm not mad at anybody. I don't think they're mad at anybody. I think we just are looking at it like times are changing. Every sort of business in the world is taking on this new idea of like transparency. You need to be vulnerable. You need to be honest and, and sincere and uh, you know, reproductive assistance also needs to do the same thing more so maybe because of how important, how important this goal is to everybody. Like this is a lifetime thing that people assume they're going to have, right? We assume we're going to have families and if we can't have them, then we need the doctors to be able to say that to us and not in a hateful way, but in a compassionate and empathetic way. And so that's what I think that's where the community is really focusing attention is like the people who talk to us like we're humans and have that human connection that you and I talked about are the ones that we kind of respect the most. So that that's a perspective shift that I would really like for people to consider after listening to us. Lindsay Fisher, co-founder of Infertile AF, well said, and thank you so much for coming on Inside Reproductive Thanks for having me. You've been listening to the Inside Reproductive Health Podcast with Griffin Jones. If you're ready to take action to make sure that your practice thrives beyond the revolutionary changes that are happening in our field and in society, visit fertilitybridge.com to begin the first piece of the fertility marketing system, the goal and competitive diagnostic. Thank you for listening to Inside Reproductive Health.